All right. Well, welcome again, everybody. Thank you. Hope you uh, enjoyed the lunch, the risk we take with a high-carb lunch right before a panel. <laughs> Keep everybody awake. Um, so we have an awesome panel. They introduced themselves um, a bit before, but I'll kind of go through. Next to me is, is Jay Hummer. As he said, he's a 30-plus-year franchise executive with emerging brands and a mature company. Jay currently works with five brands, Kennedy's All-American, Barber Club, Grayson's Estate Sales, Muya Burgers, Whole Hog Cafe, and Native Grill and Wings. Um, he's a master developer and uh, knows how to recruit experienced franchisees looking to add brands to their portfolio as, as people go multi-unit. Uh, he's a friend, longtime client, and happy and thankful he made the trip all the way down here from Boston uh, just to be with us. And thanks for not wearing your Tom Brady tie. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, next to Jay is Dave Restituto, a repeat PFA panelist. Um, shows his varied role and, and, and experience in the franchising world. Dave is, has been a multi-unit franchisee with Rita's Italian Ice, Meineke, and Checkers Drive-In. Uh, I met Dave well over 10 years ago when he opened his first Rita's inside, the first inside service Rita's for those inside baseball. We could do a whole panel probably uh, just on that, so we'll leave that. But, um, but thank you, Dave. But now, um, Dave founded a new franchise system, Factory Donuts. He's a new franchisor, um, less than a year old, already has uh, half a dozen plus uh, under development and sold, so it's great. So welcome, Dave. Thanks for taking the time. And Greg Carafello, uh, Greg made, a, made the trip down here from New York, so really appreciate that. Um, Greg and I met at the, uh, a few times and just recently at the Fast Sign show where he became an area developer for Fast Signs for all the five boroughs. Um, and that sort of came out of his area development as an area developer for Cartridge World and Liberty Tax Service. So together, as he mentioned, he oversees over 100 stores. And uh, we were having a really good chat at lunch about you know, his vision, his view of franchising before he got into franchising, sort of the, the F word of franchising, because he was an independent business owner and didn't really look at it and maybe looked at it differently. Um, so I'm going to ask him to expound on that. So I appreciate you, you making the trip and traveling. So today's topic. Uh, is multi-unit brand franchising, kind of building a local empire. Um, really appreciate the turnout, everybody coming. Um, we've done this panel before and it was well received. Um, and, and, you know, as you see, I think it was um, Frandate, I made that quote before, is that, you know, something like 53% of all franchise units are owned by some multi-unit operator. And I think that's a growing number. So as people get local experience and look to pick up brands, for the franchisees in the room, obviously you can kind of learn from how do you pick up a brand, and for the franchisors, how do you attract these, these talented people? So I guess um, we'll just kind of dive into it. Jay's next to me here. Uh, what's the biggest advantage of being sort of a multi-brand franchisee as you, as you see that? Well, you have different um, skills that you learn from each of the leaders that, that you're involved with, for one. Uh, and closer to the mic here, sorry. So do I need to repeat that? Okay, so each leader of a brand is going to bring different skills. The teams will bring different skills, and obviously uh, you'll, have, you'll have the benefit of meeting many other operators. And uh, so many franchisees have always said that one of the best values that you get from a franchise is, is uh, the connections with your mutual franchisees. Yeah. Well, you know, you guys share that one. Probably easier and then, Dave, you know, how do you see the difference from the franchisee side to the franchisor side? Maybe you can kind of. So that's a great one. That's a wonderful question. Um, <clears throat> so how do I start with this one? Um, so being a franchisee for, I don't know, since I was at the age of six when my parents got into a Meineke car care center back in like 19, I don't know, I'm trying to think of how old, 1979? I'm trying not to give away my age here. Um, I know, but I didn't. I was lying. Um, so, um, you know, as we grew with uh, Meineke, and we had four centers, and we went out and we opened up a bunch of Rita's. We had nine Rita's Italian Ices, and we developed a couple of Checkers drive-in restaurants. Um, I, for one, and Tom knows this, is somebody that likes to speak my mind as a franchisee. And I know as a franchisor, oh, on the <laughs> there you go. And as a franchisor, I know we all love those franchisees that are the thorn in the side, that constantly, you know, are bickering and complaining. But, you know, when I was a franchisee, and I still am actually to this day, um, you know, I didn't bicker for just the, you know, for the heck of it, I guess you could say. Um, I think there were valid points. Um, you know, and I still look at that as a franchisor today. Like, when I talk to people and we have them in for Discovery Day, um, we discuss, hey, you know what, as a franchisor, we want to do the right thing. You know, we don't, we've been a franchisee. We understand the complaints and some of the, the hardships that a franchisee may have. 
Um, and we're very sincere to listen to that because I don't want to be that person on the other side of the table where um, you know, I can't put my head down on my pillow at nighttime and know that I'm doing the best that I could for my franchisees. Um, I take it to heart. Um, I want people to be successful. And at the end of the day, you know, aligning with a franchisor that is on the same page that you are is extremely important in the due diligence process for anybody, as we all know. Um, so I think as a franchisee and a franchisor, what I've learned, obviously, right away is to make sure that I can navigate the waters um, successfully on both ends of the spectrum and never lose sight of the fact that without the franchisees, we're not successful. And, and it goes both ways. Without the franchisor doing what they're supposed to be doing, the franchisee is not successful. So really looking at franchising as not just one side or the other, but everybody is in the same, which a philosophy I share. Um, cool. And Greg, we were talking, maybe you can expound on kind of your background and how you got into franchising and your opinion of it before and, and, and your view of it now. Well, um, <clears throat> I was a corporate guy for about nine years in New York City. I worked for a company called Canon. And, um, and the Japanese liked me. I did very, very well with them. And um, I, uh, when I resigned in 89, um, uh, my old man, my father, thought I was crazy because I had three kids and, you know, things were, bills were there. And I said, no, nah, I just got to do my own thing. So I resigned. Well, actually, before I resigned, my wife and I started a business uh, in our dining room. We had a dining room, but no dining room set. So what we did was I was involved in the, in the color copying part of the business. So I, I bought two color copiers and I bought what they call an EFI rip, which is very important back then but it was all of our home equity we had in the world. So we bought it, and I still worked full time, and I brought home jobs, and my wife would do them, and I'd deliver them the next day into New York City. Um, and then I resigned in January of uh, 90, and we opened up our first company. And um, we grew from our dining room set to four stores, $4 million in sales, very, very profitable, um, 39 employees. My employees stayed for 10, 12, 14 years even until the end. Um, and I was caught in 9-11. I'm a survivor of 9-11. I had a business in the World Trade Centers, and I was there that day. So basically, we had gone from $4 million in sales to $600,000 in sales in about an hour. So I have 39 employees, and I'm paying. And uh, the phone's not ringing. We had to pick up the phone to make sure it was ringing and that it was working, and it just wasn't ringing. So this went on for about six months. Um, FEMA did help out with the New York City employees and so on, but you know I had four stores in New Jersey and so on, which uh, just were we were just eroding cash, like uh, we're burning cash. And uh, so at that point in time, I had to sell that business. In, um, in oh, I sold it in 04, but I went into franchising in 03, July 30th, actually. So my 15-year anniversary is coming up. And uh, the saddest part of the, my own business was uh, the best part of my own business was all my decisions. And if you're, I, I reinvest in myself at all times. I'm always going to school. I went to MIT, birthing a giant. So you name the CEO clubs. I'm always in the educational mode because most people, when they open a business, think that you stop learning. Now, if you're a corporate guy, they force you to go to training every six months. When you open your own business, you think you know so much that you shouldn't go, and that's just the opposite. You should be reinvesting at least budget 10, 12,000 a year for reinvestment to travel and travel for business education. But what happened was I had employees that we used to celebrate when they bought a house and bought a car, but after 9-11, we couldn't keep them. So after people waiting would be 10, 12 years, you know, it's a sad day when you have to let people go. It's just, uh, it's no fun. And, and they've worked weekends and Christmas Eves and everything else to make your business, your back, your sweat, good. But I used to laugh at franchises, I was telling Tom. I used to, you know, to me, a franchise, obviously you're not an entrepreneur, but you are an entrepreneur. Why would I do it? But the problem is when you're an independent business, you run out of energy. You either run out of money, time, or energy, or thoughts. So you're still, no matter how many employees you have, you're making the final decision at the kitchen table at 11 o'clock at night on the new brochure. And you know, it gets old after 10, 12, 13 years, no matter how well you're doing. So uh, that's where the franchise model, when I went into it, really adds value. And you can't minimize that when you have a good franchise system. If they're bringing you the right products to help you grow, and the right training, and the right advertising, and the right support, that's where franchising really just knocks out independent business. And you know, when you go to sell your business in a franchise model, and there's a lot of brokers in the room, I would believe, and I think I'm, uh, it's my opinion, but I, I think it's easier to sell a franchise model than it is an independent. And I think the numbers are higher. So that's, that's where I am. And, and, uh, and I purchased Cartridge World. And over the years, I bought New York. I bought New Jersey first. I bought New York. Then I bought Maryland, D.C., Virginia. Then I bought Ohio, Michigan, and Kentucky. And I'm the largest in the world for them right now um, with 80 stores. Marty Long is one of my best franchisees, and he's here. I didn't know he was going to be here until he sh shocked me, as usual, on Monday. And, um, but then I bought Liberty Tax in 11, um, and I grew that and sold it, as I said earlier. And I, and I, um, I uh, bought Manhattan. I took the proceeds and bought Manhattan, which was a virgin area. And then I bought Fast Signs to Five Boroughs in December 4th of 2017. So I've seen all three sides, corporate, 
uh, non-franchise independent and then franchise system. So for your franchisees that are joining the system, do, do, do they have a need or a desire to be multi-branded individual units? It depends on which business you're in. If you're in the Liberty Tax business, 72% of our, our franchisees are, it's kind of probably like the readers, 72% uh, of our franchisees keep their full-time jobs. So yes, they'll have multiple brands. They'll do an all-state insurance, they'll do this, and they'll keep other jobs. Uh, Cartridge World is number one in the industry. Uh, 80 Of my 80 owners, I'd say 78 of them are, this is their main gig and this is what they do, but there's unlimited sales, all you gotta do is work harder, you make more money. So in that respect, and Fast Signs is very similar to that. It's a B2B and, brand. And Jay, how about you with your multiple brands? So it really depends on, on on the um, enterprise's desire. If they're looking to be in a geography, you know, a certain geography, or if they're looking to be with a certain brand. I mean, you'll have some brands uh, where franchisees own franchises in the East Coast and the West Coast, and they, they just float with the brand. But um, in our case, uh, we do have a, a franchisee with our Kennedy's uh, brand who owns three in Fairfield County. Well, he can't get any more. They're all sold out in Fairfield County, Connecticut. So he's building a Muya, our, 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 you know, our fast casual burger brand, uh, so that he doesn't have to take the, the Kennedys and come to Pennsylvania or Massachusetts. So it depends on if you're, if you're doing geography or, or, or based on brand. And Dave, to throw that question, a similar question to you, and by the way, um, as those of you who are new here, ask questions, make this interactive. You don't want me to, I can ask these guys a million questions, so I don't want to have to go the whole night. Um, but Dave, we were talking before about as a franchisor, you really want people preferably with franchising experience, you know, who have run businesses maybe, or maybe not. Well, please. Explain. So, so I, I believe, um, yeah, I think you need, it's, it's, a, it's a mix, right? You're gonna get your, you know, every franchise has a mix of one third of franchisees are gonna need a lot of help and that's where you spend all your time really trying to assist them and give your operational support. You're one third in the middle, and then you have your third at the top that really never ever get to see anybody from the corporate office because they know what they're doing. Um, so with that, when we're looking at, at growing our brand, I think there's a mix. You know, right now we have um, we have people that have experience that have joined our brand. Um, we've sold three packs. Um, we're doing either single or multi-unit um, deals, up to three. But um, with that being said, I think you know franchisors. And the franchisees, look, franchise, people that get into the franchise business generally looking for a structure, generally looking for a system, or generally looking for a guidance, right? That's why they're getting into a franchise for the most part, and name recognition. When I was a franchisee, I would look at trying to get in just for brand recognition and name recognition. I took the structure that they had, I made, tweaked it here or there, made it a little bit better, but I followed the system, right? That's what franchising is about. So you're gonna get your people that you want as experienced franchisees that understand what they're doing and what the needs are and God willing they're successful franchisees and what they do and come to you with that experience and that's what we've actually signed on with so far. Um, but we're also gonna get those people that are gonna come in and get those one unit deals that, you know, I, I hate to say this, but they might be the sheep following the flock, you know, I mean, you know, the flock But leader. you believe there's still a role for the single unit guys? Absolutely, because you can't grow your brand without that. That's why people are getting into a franchise system. You know, they are looking for that structure and that organizational, you know, aspect that you bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it depends on destination versus pro, be proactive sales on your business model. Uh, the Liberty Tax is a destination. You buy a zip code, you buy an area. Probably breeders is probably we want to coat the area. However, when you're an owner. Uh, you have a different skill set when it's one facility or you have three or four or five. So it's, it's a management skill as opposed to a working skill, in my opinion. It's management skill as opposed to, opposed to a working skill set. When you have one, one office, you can work harder than anybody. You can make it super great, one store, whatever. You go to two stores, you're really not a multi-owner yet because you own one and the manager you put in the other one owns the other one, really, in essence. Uh, however, you go to three and you can't be Mighty Mouse. Mighty Mouse is gone. You can't dive in anymore because you can't be in three places at one time. So you, then your skill set has to be management level. If you can do three, you can probably do 30. But one to two is a big test, but two to three is your real test of can you do multiple, in my opinion, if you can do multiples or not. Jay, you want to chime in on that, on the, on the single unit versus that? Sure. How people manage that? Uh, you know, well, the first question was talking about whether or not it's okay to do a single unit. Right. And, and there are a lot of brand uh, opinion on that. And a lot of brands don't want somebody that is just going to do a single unit. You know, if everybody wants a guy that's going to come and build 10 or 12. But a big problem in the industry is the uh, sold, not open units. And there's so many of them out there because, let's face it, 
some guy comes out and he's brand new to the industry and he's going to commit to opening 10 restaurants and he finds out he's not very good at it when he opens the first restaurant and he's committed a million dollars to it. So what's fair? Uh, you know, so if somebody's looking in, you should really say, hey, I want to see if I can do this before I decide. Now, if you already have infrastructure, you've already done what Greg is talking about where you, you already understand how to, how to run a multi-unit facility, then that's a different story. And by all means, you know, buy a whole state if you want. Questions? Was there a handout? Did you have a question? Um, yeah. Question was, what's the best way to figure out a franchisee joining which brand? Uh, how to find out if it's a good cultural match? You want to go first, Greg? Yeah, I'll jump in. I'll jump in. You like that one? I guess it would depend on what level of development you are in your business, right? A new franchisee, franchisor system. I'm a franchisor and a franchisee because I'm a master franchisor and E, <laughs> so I'm both. But the reality is, is that you know there are a lot of, of firms out there that will, as long as you're breathing and you have money, will take the money. And it depends on how many bills you have to pay in the morning. So that, in that respect, you have to get past that. Because if you, if you help a person get into business and it's the wrong person with the wrong business, with the wrong amount of money and the wrong whatever, you've really done a disservice to that person and their family, but also to your business. And, and that's where I think the issue is. The hard part is saying no. You know, and the hard part is to grow. So where do you find people? And what kind of people do you find? That's the age-old question today. It's changed dramatically. Used to be portals. Now portals, you know, fair, okay. And maybe it's maybe it's vertical marketing in certain industries. Maybe that's one way to, to grow it. But you're going to find that, um, at least in, in my opinion, you have to look for uh, where you're going to work very closely with these people if you're an active owner, active uh, master franchisee, or active ownership um, uh, franchisor. So you want to bring in people that kind of work within your system, and you want to vet them well before you take their money. You want to sit with them, sit with their spouses. See what they're about. Be, don't be afraid to ask the spouse what they think of this business. You know, or should he, he or she even own a business? And it, because if you hide that, it's only going to come back to bite you. So you want to really get out there up front. All the hard questions should be answered up front, not when you take the money and not when you're signing the FTD and going to dinner and congratulating them. So in that respect. So that's my opinion. On, I don't know if I answered your question or not. I agree with everything Greg said. And I've been doing this for 32 plus years. And even though you, you know, at some point as a franchisor or sub-franchisor, you think that you've got it right. You said, this is the guy, they're gonna be great. And they bomb. And then you get the guy who you said, I'm really taking a shot on this guy or this, you know, this person. And they become your best franchisee. And so as much as we, we want to know that we can, we can really establish who is who? We can't. And we'd like to think we can, but I've just found that it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really not a science. And uh, here's something that does happen in our industry. Somebody comes in and they commit 700,000 to building out something, and they turn out that they're not very good. Well, as a brand, and particularly for your new franchise uh, ors out here, um, you're gonna have to have the cleanup guy coming in. And the cleanup guy, it's like, my aunt once said to me, she said, Jay, I married for love the first time I married, the second time I married for money. And uh, <laughs> it was my favorite aunt. Is that what you said? I thought it was your fiance. No, my aunt. My aunt. <laughs> that's funny. And my wife would think that's even funnier. Uh, so, so uh, no. Uh, where was I going with this now? I'm sorry. You got yeah, me. marry your second franchisee for money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, the cleanup crew comes after, and that cleanup crew is the guy that comes in and buys that unit for 200000 The first guy spent 700 He went broke doing it. And the second guy comes in, he picks it up for 200 His overhead is less from the beginning. His, you know, his debt service is way down. And then, uh, oh, by the way, he already has infrastructure, as, as you were talking about before. He already has the infrastructure. So that kind of all leads to that same question. That we can't always get it right, but we have to know what to do when when uh, we were right that we didn't get it right.
We were wrong and we didn't get it right. So uh, I just want to circle back for one minute. Um, when we talked about like single franchise um, developers versus multi-unit, um, so, and I said this, we, we will only go over, like, at my franchise, we do not sell any more than three stores. I don't care how much money you're waving at us. Um, you know, the good thing for us is that we have income from our seven other businesses and real estate, so we're not in a rush just to, like you said, just open up and blast stores all over the place. Um, but the single unit operator is important. And why they're important is for this. You said it, you touched base on this a little bit. You can run one store really, really well, right? And maybe you're just good at one store, right? I mean, let's all look at Chick-fil-A. They're not a franchise, right? Generally speaking, correct me if I'm wrong, but they only have one operator per Chick-fil-A. In some instances, I've heard of maybe two. And okay? they can't buy any other kind of business. And they cannot buy any other kind of business because they That's want That's why they didn't make this panel. <laughs> because they, they want them dedicated to that store. But, but let's just talk about the single operator. I mean, generally speaking, they're the A standard of fast food, right? So you go there and the owner operator, if you want to call them that, um, is making sure that the model is running correctly. So they're going to set a good standard. And I believe, generally when I'm speaking, generally, when a person has a single unit store and a franchise model, they do very well making sure the stores run well because they're there all the time. You know, when we had 11 operation, operational businesses, I know I'm not making 100% of my possible income out of every single unit. But if I make 80%, 85% out of every one, and I can continue to grow, and my net worth goes up, and I can expand, and I can do other things, who's winning? For me, that was my model. I could replicate it over and over and over again. You know, so what we're taking as a franchisor and having success doing that in multiple brands, I mean, we had three franchise brands operating at the same time. That's not easy to do as an operator, as a developer. You know, it's different, but when you're hands-on involved in those businesses, there's a lot of moving pieces there. So you have to have the organizational structure to be able to do it with general managers, management, you know, the whole nine yards. So we actually had like a mini franchise system within our system, but I know I'm going off, off the beat here, but a single unit operator is just as important for the foundation of your brand, in my belief, as a multi-unit. I just think you need a combination of both to make it successful. No, it's great. And, and to tee off of that question of culture, because that's kind of the culture of are you a single unit operator or multi? Do you, you know, forget the legal ramifications of owning competitive brands. We'll, we'll park that. Um, is there a cultural pushback, do you feel, or should franchisors push back of kind of what you were saying? Hey, as a franchisee and you run one store, two or three, one brand, one franchisee, they can do that, you know, and get 100% out of it. If you're a franchisor, you know those numbers. Well, okay, if my franchisee is going to own. So should franchisors be encouraging their franchisees to become more business owners and build wealth, or is there risk there? You want me to answer? Go for it. Well, I think anytime you own a business, you should know what you're doing. You know, it's, it's pretty obvious, right? But well, not all the time. We wouldn't no. be very busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too busy doing sales. I can't afford to look at the numbers. What the heck are they anyways? Yeah, what's the profit and loss? Um, so I find in every business that I own, many people are not comfortable with the profit and loss. And they're not comfortable with the general, the, uh, general ledger or the statements, the balance sheet. You know, how many people have played sports in this room? You know, probably 90% of you, right? How many times do you play a sport and not know the score? You know, what's Bill Belichick? I know you guys don't like to hear that in the Chaos. Philly region. No, I'm from New York, but I love Belichick. <laughs> but I got to tell you, he makes changes at halftime to make the other coaches look like rookies. That's why he wins. He doesn't win the first half almost any time, but he wins the second half almost every time because his, he looks almost, except for this one. <laughs> I'm a Dallas fan, so on top of that, so hello. <laughs> you guys really love me down here. This is why Marty never invites me down. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it's, so it's, it's all relative to where you're going with the, the culture. And, and the, but the business knowledge, I think, is our responsibility as a, as a franchisor, uh, a master franchise. To, I go over, Marty can bear me out on this, I go over everyone's P&L every year. Now, the first year or two, they think I'm like the IRS, and I'm not the IRS. I don't really care what you run through your business. I just want to know what you're paying for cable, cost of goods, rent, this, that, advertising. Is it effective? Is it working? What customers have you kept? What customers have you lost? Is your business growing? Is it not growing? We should all know this. Is your business, you're supposed to be business owners. So if you know this, life gets a lot easier when, you, when you're going to work in the morning not stressing because you know what you're, even the bad. 
Even if the numbers are bad, at least I know I got to make some changes. And that's all I'm saying is that you got to know your numbers. So that's my opinion. So yeah, I was, I was actually going to. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> oh, well, we were talking about the we were talking about the culture of of the single unit operator, and is there pushback of from a cultural standpoint as a franchisor? Do you look at someone owning multiple brands and you think, oh, you know, I'm not their first love or their only love anymore? So if if it's multiple brands, um, you know, having been um, at the same time with three different brands. Um, I believe, you know, from us, from my standpoint, when you find a franchisee that knows what they're doing um, and can show themselves as successful, and, and I mean, that's what, who wouldn't want that? You know, who wouldn't want that franchisee in their system who's been successful, operator of the year, franchise of the year, all that stuff? I mean, you want those people because they're, they're like the golden, you know, jewel that you're looking for to help you develop your brand. Um, however, However, you can get to a point, I don't know if you believe this or not, but sometimes you can get too big to fail, right? I mean, sometimes you can have a franchisee that may have 25, 30, 40, 50 locations, and that franchisee um, all of a sudden has to be propped up because if they fail, that could be a major mark on the brand, you know? Um, so having learned what I've learned throughout the years with all of my brands, I'm not gonna pinpoint any of them, um, you got to be strategically smart when you when you have multi-unit operate operators because they can either carry you or they can break you, and you really got to make sure that you do your due diligence. Yeah. Go ahead. I agree with what Dave's saying wholeheartedly. You know, and there are some people that you're doing a disservice to by awarding them another store. Dave run a great business, one, two, three, or four. All of a sudden, you say, "Listen, I want you to take five or six or seven. Next thing you know, everything gets watered down. The focus gets lost. They're overwhelmed. They can't get the right financing. They don't have the right management tactic." So I, I would agree wholeheartedly with what you guys are saying as far as that. But multiverse and multi-brand, you got to dedicate to each brand. Who the heck wants to not be the focus? So if I if I buy, I have three brands now plus an independent business. So I, I focus, and Marty will tell, tell you on this. I mean, I focus on all three brands. I just, it takes time, but I'm kind of a work, I don't want to say workaholic, because I do take a lot of time off, but I also, when I work, I work. But, but you know, Greg, you, you kind of hit a point there, is that you really have to want to work more than the normal person to juggle more brands. You need to know the ins and outs of each brand, and uh, if you're going to make that, that jump, you really need to understand that it's, it's going to take a lot more of your time. It's, yeah, there, go ahead. I was going to just add one thing. A franchisee in Fast Science who's coming on board in New York, um, he's from Trinidad, and he owns three businesses, a couple of restaurants in Manhattan, and he owns a sign shop for 20 years, which is what we look for, obviously. Sign shop, not the restaurants. You guys who look for the restaurants, but the sign shop. So he said to me in our first meeting, first week he calls me on a Sunday. He calls me back on a Sunday. So I answered the phone. He says, wow, you work on a Sunday. I said, yeah, I, I own a business. When are you supposed to work? You know, I'll, I'll work Saturday night. I don't care. You tell me when we're going to meet. So he said to me, you know, he has a motto. He says, if you work from 9 to 5, you're going to work till you're 95. Oh, my I just want, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that yeah. was. Go ahead, Bert. Yeah, Tom, how do you prepare a, a single franchise owner to do multiple stores? Uh, it's a great question. How do you prepare a single franchise owner to do multiple stores? Great question. Well, the first thing is you, you have to build infrastructure behind your brand, and you have to have a, a talented um, uh, a group of, of staff members, leaders. You have to build that. First, I mean, the, we're going to each say, you know, 100 different things. But to me, that's the first thing that comes to mind, is if you're going to build more, uh, your first place has to, of course, be, be, be right, and then you've got to build staff that you can rely on. It's really important. So um, the moment I opened up my first location you know, in any business, um, the first thing I was thinking about was, how can I get this business off the ground and running so I was not turning the key to open or close the business? That was the first thing. So um, you know, training. I mean, infrastructure is huge. I mean, I, I, I can, I go to places and I talk to a lot of people and, you know, they're amazed that, you know, we opened up a brand new concept nine months ago and within three weeks I wasn't opening the door or closing the door. First of all, I didn't want to get up at three o'clock in the morning every day and, and go home at, you know, 11 o'clock. Yeah, phew. Um, so I said to myself, I said, you know what, obviously I want to make sure I can get this thing in place so this way it can operate correctly without me having to be there all the time because you can't be everywhere all the time. But going back to your original question was, how can you prepare a single unit franchisee for multi-unit development? Some people just have it and some people just don't, okay? And you can sit there and you, know, they, you can tell them until you're blue in the face and say, look, you know, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way, and for whatever reason, they're gonna do it a different way because they know better and that's the end of it. 
But to try to prepare them is to try to, I believe, is to, like you said, is to set the foundation from the very get-go. Spend the money up front, have the infrastructure in place. You know, as you're a franchisor and you're trying to develop a brand, I think we can all agree, you do that well ahead of the curve, right? You have to. You can't be playing catch-up. So, so as, as a franchisee trying to be able to go into a multi-unit, you have to make sure that they understand structure and organization. Because once you develop one, and you said it, you can do two, but so many people, after they cross the barrier of two, they're just they're spinning. They're so used to doing controlling and, and doing everything themselves that they don't understand how to delegate. And you cannot be a multi-unit operator without being able to delegate and without being able to say, hey, you know what? It's not going to be perfect, but at the same token, I'm going to keep developing these stores and I'm, I'm going to open them up and they're going to run 90 to 95% efficient versus 100. 100 is impossible if you're not there. Sorry. No, and, and, and with that... Uh, comes, what are you doing to develop the people? So what, what opportunities have you laid out from day one when you first started, if your intention is to be a multi-unit operator, and then obviously even more so if you intend to be a multi-brand operator, what have you done with each employee that you're hiring so that they can have a career path to go along no different than when you first joined corporate America and you started out here and you wanted to be the CEO? At some point, you have to lay that path out uh, to keep your, your people. Can I just inter uh, interject yeah, sure. here? Um, uh, two things. The first thing is, and I agree with both these gentlemen said, but when Jay was saying the structure of the corporation has to be prepared for multi-unit owners. I mean, training is different when you, when you have to send somebody through training for multiple as opposed to individual st store units. So it starts right there in the beginning. And, and you have to have people at corporate who know what it's like to run multiple stores. If you don't know what it's like to run multiple stores, how do you empathize or how do you help the person that is going to run? multiple stores. So I think that you, you were dead on with the structure itself has to, be, uh, has to be there. And then the owner has to want it. One of the best questions when I buy other brands is when I take over uh, uh, legacy owners, you know, people who are, are in the business. And my first question to them is, why'd you get into this business? Because that tells the tale of the tape. I mean, why'd you get in and where do you want to go? I mean, do you want to be 90 years old uh, selling cartridges or selling signs? I don't. But what's your exit strategy? It's all done the first meeting whether it's a new or an existing owner, in my, in my two cents. And do you find, um, no, it's great. I mean, the talent of that is our franchisors, or what should franchisors do in terms of what I'm hearing is maybe you should almost have two different types of training programs, that the single unit operator training is maybe the training for the manager, and maybe, maybe you can expand on what franchisors could do, or what maybe, maybe some more stories or best practices of where you've seen it done well or done poorly. Well, the first thing you do as a franchisor is not take the, you know, 200000 for one unit, 600000 for three units. You take the 600000 and you burn it. So you, what you should do is put that money towards that training effort. And, and you really should do it. They don't all time. do that? No, they don't all do that. No, they're all great. <laughs> but the reality is that's what you've got to look at. And the franchisee looking at the businesses should be doing their due diligence. If you're, in today's world, the thing called LinkedIn and Facebook, I mean, they, you know more about me than I know about me. You know, so, and that's true, I think, I don't know if you guys are experiencing that, but I think that's true when I meet a, when I meet a new franchisee, a candidate. They really, know, if, they're any, if they have any effort at all, they have any interest, they know more about our businesses than I do, and about me and so on. And that's cool, I understand, that's great, better questions. But so, I think that person's gotta to wanna to know where they go too. So it's a responsibility both ways. You know, you, you bring up a good point, and as a brand, uh, Dave and I were talking over lunch about his new franchise, and and the operational side of it, and comparing our hamburger franchise, Muya, which is a, a fast, casual, better burger category, and it's so easy to see um, if, if, if training fails somewhere, and, and let's face it, big companies, it fails. I used to run a, a $15 billion company, and uh, we had failures on, on those lines. So, uh, you know, when we were kind of challenging each other, just talking, okay, well, you know, you're doing this for that, this for that. So that line has to be perfect. And it has to, has everybody here read the book, The E-Myth? Yes. Some of the guys my age all read it, right? So Michael Gerber talks about the entrepreneurial myth. And it's really about, you know, can the, the lowest level of employee get this job done effectively for you? And, you know, that's what we're talking about. You know, can that employee that is gaining minimum wage, can they do this job for you so that your systems work um, in step with where you want them to work. No, I would agree, and that's great. I always like to bring up the 
I've probably given out or mentioned the EMIT to a lot of clients. I mean, we've read it as a law firm. Like, you can always, just to make you think of yourself as a franchisor, and that's the ultimate sort of bridge towards multi-unit ownership. Other questions? Please, John. question was, um, I'll just repeat the question if people in the back here, um, how do you know, some people have it, some don't, between assessments and that and gut feeling, how do you recognize the traits between a multi-unit and single unit operator? And so, what are the tools? And what are the tools? Are, are the tools that are out there today that are being marketed to us the best? So, um, having been a franchisor for nine months, I get the luxury of having discovery days, and I'm sure like you, being in the selling of franchises, you understand that a personal connection, a one-on-one -on -one conversation to me is still the best scientific tool that anybody could use. It's not going to be 100% foolproof. Um, there's going to be assessments and questionnaires that I'm sure that these guys probably utilize and some services that they can utilize to really get a, a good understanding of who you are before they even meet with you. Um, I'm not in that realm yet, so I'm still relying on you know, that experience that I have, um, I guess you could say, as being in the retail business for my entire life, um, and understanding people and, get, and just being a good listener. You know, you can find out so much from people just by listening instead of talking. And if you ask a good question, let them go. You know, let them go. You know, I love bringing husband and wife in and like you said, you know, so what's your role going to be in this? You know, what's your overall structure? Where do you plan on being in three to five years? You know, these are the questions that I want to find out from, from my perspective franchisees because as I said, if, if they fail, my brand fails. Right? So I have to make sure by all means that I feel like it's an interrogation. I almost feel like I put a light above their face and saying answer these questions. But I'm trying to get the answers um, that I feel that I can recognize whether you're going to make that candidate who's going to be able to build my brand for me and for yourself successful. And again, like I have to rely on my experience of finding those questions out myself because I don't have you know, the capabilities right now of being able to have a questionnaire put together for me or a service put together for me that's going to look at analytics to say, hey, you're going to be someone that qualifies. Maybe that's why you might be somebody that we look at for the future to pre-qualify some of our candidates for franchisees. I'm going to comment, but I know this gentleman had a question yeah, I, first. I mean, I think the problem is there that you're relying on your experience. You know, there's always that argument about people and system and process. Yep. And so, look, if, if everybody were 20 percenters, you wouldn't need system and process. They would put things together that work. The reality of the world is that if you're that person that can do that, there's eight out of ten that can't. Correct. How do you do it without science and assessment? So you know what we're doing is uh, at our Kennedy's Barber Club conference, which starts this Sunday. Uh, one of our one of our um, workshops is going to be a disc assessment. So many of you have done the disc assessment, and for us, we want that to be purposeful because our our owners um, have different types of staff. They have sales staff and they also have barbers, and barbers tend to be creative souls. They're not looking to sell something, and our franchisees insist that they sell, and guess what, they're not very good at it. So we do, we do the disc assessment for all of our franchisees, and we have a package for them to take it back to their staff so that they can really understand uh, people better. And, and obviously, you, there's so many different tests out there that you can utilize for franchisees if you want as well. Nothing foolproof, just a data point. You had a question there? Yeah, well, the question was, how do you deal with the ownership change at the franchisor level when you're a master and the culture kind of shifts? Well, the first thing, you hopefully they have money so they stay in business. So secondly, uh, to find new candidates, Marty, is that what you're saying, to find new owners? For, yeah, okay. 
So you have to, first of all, you have to listen to, in my, in my two cents, I think you have to listen to where the company wants to take it. Now, the, the, you know, the financial guys come in and they can destroy a company as well as anybody. They have a lot of money, they have a lot of ego, and they come in and say, this is the way we're going to do it, and then the business goes to its knees. In spite of that, the business survives, and another buyer buys it for 10 cents on the dollar, and, and uh, they're, they're turning it around. So we have a manufacturer now who owns us. And they, we make our own printers, we make our own cartridges, we have total control over manufacturing. So now, and we're actually in the process of looking at a, a copier company now, like a Rico. So we've got to fall in line with the new, the new candidate we're looking for, and you guys, can, I'll, I'll share this in a second, but uh, we're looking for Marty Long. He was the first guy, we call it the Marty model. Now, it was a great model 14 years ago. I obviously stole it, because I'm the master, and I called it the Manhattan model. But the Marty model was, we used to fill, we used to have 600 something stores filling cartridges. Now that's all great, except you have 600 and something factories doing quality like this, right? So you never get the consistent experience you need in a franchise. Marty, his wife Thea goes to training for two weeks, learns how to fill every cartridge on earth and all this other stuff, comes home and Marty says, we're never gonna fill this $10,000 machine, pack it up and send it back. We're never gonna fill a cartridge. Back then it was revolutionary. Today, that's the only person we're looking for, we're looking for business people. So it, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but we're looking for a different owner today, more of a guy like, or a lady like you, that's more interested in running a business nine to five, Monday through Friday, than a person that uh, has high fidelity with their fingers or more interested in technical um, you know, computer repair and so on. And, uh, but I do want to also go back to Joan's question here, and, and then I'll share the mic if that's all right. But the question itself was, you know, where do you find people, what do you do, what do you test? Now, you know, I'm not a good tester. I'm a pretty smart guy, but I'm just not a good tester. So I'd probably fail most of your tests. You know, we have a, in the CEO club in New York City, which I've been a member for 20-something years, you know, we have a motto that the A students hang around academia become lawyers, doctors, professors, and the B students work for all the C and D students. You know, and if you think about it, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, so that's why the testing we don't use, I believe the testing is in the heart, the heart and the mind. You know, when I'm sitting, and Dave said it, and, and Jay said it, I gotta read you. What do you want to do? I don't really care if you're the smartest or the dumb. I don't care about that. Where are you going in your life? Are you focused and are you smart enough and healthy enough and, and also uh, uh, energetic enough? I mean, you have to be an energy, you have to be a nuclear energy plant to start a business, right? You're taking it from nowhere to somewhere. And, you know, and, and when it comes to franchisees, and Marty's heard this from me, whenever I award a franchise, I always say you know, two things. First, my grandmother, who was um, five, four foot eight, Quinchetta, she's, uh, she used to always say you're dead a long time. So in other words, when you're on this earth, you better do what you want to do because you're not going to get the chance again. So it is, you know, it's, I don't want to go too deep into it, but whatever, it's a brushstroke. And the other is I tell every franchisee, when you look in the mirror and you're doing well, remember, it's you. It's not me, it's not Marty, it's not corporate. But when you're not doing well and you're looking in the mirror, remember, it's you. It's not me, it's not Marty, it's not <laughs> Obama, it's not Trump, it's nobody. It's the person in the mirror. Because every business here has a functional model. It's just a matter of how, how much energy and effort and enthusiasm you're gonna to put towards growing it. So, that's good. Um, other questions? We have a so, let the insurance guy make a boring question and leave the room down. What's the one thing that keeps you up at night in running your businesses? Running the, running the businesses as a franchisor? Or just in general? So it's funny you said that, because I don't know if we, I think we talked about this a little bit. Um, you know, I tell my wife, you know, as, as a franchisee, and again, I speak from both sides, you know, I didn't have to worry about everybody, right? Even though I did, you know, and I sat on all those panels and I fought to God's end with some of the franchise, one of the franchisors in particular, um, that's what made me go, go actually into franchising. I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. I wanna, I wanna open up my own franchise and I wanna really treat people the way they should be treated. And ev most franchises are good, right? You know, but you have your few here, and we all know that, that are gonna go sour and they're not gonna do the right thing for the franchisees. But going back to your question, um, you know, again, I wanna go to sleep at night knowing that I gave my franchisees the best potential for success. Now that means negotiating, you know, with our procurement team. That means making sure that everything's in place for unit economics. You know, um, so many franchisors, you know, want to open up stores and aren't looking out for the behalf of the franchisee. Um, it depends what stage they're in. You know, we're in the growing stage right now, so it's important that, and it's always important, but it's extremely important that our franchisees are happy. You know, and I want to be able to go to sleep at night knowing that I gave them the best chance of success. And if somebody fails, which is my biggest fear, I fail. You know, that's a black eye on me, and I let them down, and I take it personally. I mean, I don't see, you know, when I'm a franchisee, I don't see Rita's Italian Ice or Meineke or Checkers, like you said. 
I see Dave's car care. You know, I see Dave's Italian ice. And, and the same thing that my franchisees, I tell them that, the same exact thing. You know, we'll talk and we'll say, look, it doesn't say, you know, Robert's Factory Donuts. You know, it doesn't say Factory Donuts. It says Robert's Donut Shop. That's how you have to look at it. Yes, you're in a brand, but it's, it's you. You make the, the, the thing go. We're there to support you. We're there to support you and give you all the assistance and the structure that you need. But my biggest fear is, is of, of people, you know, not being successful. And I will go to the, the edge of whatever I need to do to make sure that they're successful. And real quick, you know, Steve Beagleman, I know he's not here today, he, he thinks I'm crazy. You know, he thinks I'm nuts because I'm already pre-branding for my franchisees before they open. You know, we bought 100 billboards for one location, all right? We, um, we had billboards on 95. I spent, you know, $5,000 just recently on National Donut Day, gave out two free donuts to every customer. I believe in the brand and I believe in branding, right? And if you pre-brand before someone comes in, my franchisees that come to us and, and talk to us and say, you know, my, we'll have a dialogue and they'll say, They'll say to us, how many stores do you have? I said, we have one right now. We have a corporate store. And they say, that's, inc that's incredible. I've seen more advertising from what you're doing than I've seen you know, other places that have 15, 20 stores. You talked about reinvesting in the, into the brand. It's about reinvesting into the brand and making the brand grow. And if franchisees see that you're on the same page as what they're looking for, man, the sky is the limit. But if, if you try to get sidetracked and look at a one-way street of just making, 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 and not looking at the you know, the potential downside of the franchisee and what's going to happen to them can lead to destruction. So to answer your question, my, my biggest fear is, is not having success for each and every franchisee because one, fran one failure is one too many. How about you, Jay? What keeps you up at night? It's uh, not much, but um, <laughs> I sleep really well. But the, the reality is the same as Dave. I mean, nobody in, as no franchisor wants to see a franchisee uh, go out of business. Uh, we are in the dream business. That's where people come to us, and they're looking to build a dream, and obviously we want to see it um, come to success and not to failure. And, uh, but it does happen, as I mentioned earlier, and when it does happen, we just want to try to find uh, 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 an out clause for them, for, for them as well. A path. A, pa a path. A path out of the business. Yes. You're, re you're, you're uh, reintroducing them to the, to the workforce. Yes. I was, I was just going to be just say that the only thing that keeps me up at night is where can I get lower insurance rates? That's <laughs> Every night I'm up thinking about it, Googling and whatever else they do. <laughs> no. yeah. So, uh, you know, if you do your, I think the, both of these gentlemen said it, it's, uh, if you do your job right during the day, your nighttime should be pretty good. So, Franchisee too. So great, great panel. We're already actually pushing up against, uh, against two o'clock and um, I'm gonna ask the last question here. Um, and then um, we have the room for as long as we need to continue until they start, you know, ripping the tables and kicking us out. So continue to uh, we can continue to network. So last question is, you know, all the topics and, and great audience questions. If there's one thing based on our topic here of becoming multi-unit owners, but for the franchisees, for the franchisor, if there's sort of one takeaway um, that you would want people to leave here with, what what would it be? I'm not going to give any advice. I'm just going to give a quick story. So within our Muya brand, we have a franchisee of another, of another brand. He owns uh, 70 units of this other brand. And he came to me in a drunken stupor one night while we were at a conference. And he said, I don't know what to do. Uh, Somebody has offered me $43 million for 10 of my units. And I said, uh, so? He said, well, and then he went to, to a story that said when he was young, the, the nuns at the school told him he was never going to amount to anything. And so he, uh, he certainly did. He'd say, well, sell him. And, I, and I'm not going to say his name. Some of you might know him. And so uh, he said, I don't need the money. I can't sell him. At the end of the day, he didn't sell him. And I told him, I said, well, you have 60 other units. You know, you still have a place to go. And he didn't sell him. So, Moral of the story here is simply that uh, he's got a lot of cash. He didn't need 43, so build your empire, right? <laughs> build your empire. Decide to sell or not. Well said. So from the franchisee's perspective, um, and I'm going to do both. Um, so as, from the franchisee perspective, if you're looking to go into multi-unit operations, do your due diligence. Look at the company. Look at the success ratio of multi-unit operators. You know, too many times people go into a brand um, without doing a full due diligence and talking to operators, um, looking at the track history of the system, you know, seeing how people have been able to go from one to three to five to ten stores. Um, as a franchisee, as a franchisor, you know, going multi-unit, it's 
building it with the right people, you know, with the right people. Um, and no matter how much money people throw at you as a franchisor, and I've had people throw lots of big dollars at us to be able to open up in states that I don't want to grow yet. And being able to have that, um, that ability to say no, the discipline, because there's a competitor of mine right now that's growing throughout the entire country, and I know what's going to happen to that competitor of mine, and I'm not losing vision of it. You know, that what they're going to do is probably not going to be successful. I've seen it far too often where they can't get support where they need it, and they can't get the advertisement that they need. And um, we're not going to make that mistake. You know, we're going to make sure that we grow with the right people in the right way from the inside out. And um, as a multi-unit, you know, as a franchisor, that's how I want to see my, my, um, my brand grow. As far as, um, I would just like to say that I think you have to trust the people you're, whether you're a franchisee or a business broker or any other part, uh, franchisor, you have to trust the people you work with. And if you're going to buy a franchise, you better trust and, and, have, and have good confidence in the franchise model. In my case, it's a master franchisee. So when Marty's talking about the ups and downs of the cartridge world, that's all above me. The one thing he has is an agreement with me. So I don't budge. I'm not moving. I'm only starting to grow. I just, I just scratch the surface. So I'm looking for growth. And the same is true of companies. You've got to look at the company. You're dead on with that. But you have to really look at the people you're going to work with. And uh, what you have, and you have here, you have entrepreneurs that are tied to the business. We're not going anywhere. I mean, when Cartridge was on its knees, I offered to buy it, you know, because I was going to double down because I have that much faith in the business itself. So the same is true with FastSign. They, they, were, they, were, you know, they were kind of struggling in 07, 08, which a lot of companies were, and they went through a rocket ship because of good leadership with Catherine Munson and, and uh, Mark Jamison and, and good financing. So that's all great. Liberty's in the same model right now. Liberty took a rocket ship to 4,400 stores, correction at about eight, year 18, which happens to a lot of franchises, ors, and now we're off in a takeoff again. So you know, you gotta have long-term strategy. If you're doing it for two years in and out, you really, you should go to the racetrack around here or something, it's a little better. Thank you. Awesome, thank you guys, great panel. Really appreciate you taking the time. All right, thank you everybody.